0: 7th is going to be a little bit different than what we're used to. Uh, so we share this building with a Korean congregation, uh, the uh, Asbury Korean United Methodist. And so next week we will have to kind of usher in the new year a joint service with them uh, don't worry, it will still be in English uh, for the most part. Uh, the sermon will, will be in English, and so we'll, we'll be able to understand. Uh, but it'll be a time for us to kind of gather together as two separate churches and just worship together. Uh, that means that service will start at 10.30. So y'all, y'all can sleep in. Uh, you can in, enjoy that. Uh, service will, will begin here at 10.30. And then immediately after that, we will have lunch. And they're going to serve us lunch. Uh, the uh, Pastor Pastor Lee made it very, uh, very clear. They want to make 떡mandu국 for us, like, which is like a Korean rice cake soup. That is traditional for um, the new year, and so come prepared uh, to to enjoy that. Uh, next is we have a deacon or a town hall meeting on the fourteenth. Uh, that's where we'll go over some of the things going on with our church. So if you if you are a church member or a Logos church member, feel free to join us uh, for that that town hall meeting after service on the fourteenth. So happy New Year! Um, it is it is New Year's Eve, and and with, with New Year's Eve comes all of those emotions and those feelings of resolutions, of, of times of looking, looking back in the past, of, of how, how this year went. Uh, for me, this year was, was jam-packed with stuff. It was, it was, it was real busy. Uh, as, as many of you know, I came on board uh, to, to be a pastor here at LCC. Uh, my wife got pregnant and gave birth to our son, Bennett. Um, so Emery has someone to play with. Um, the house right now is, is, is crazy. We have, you know, two little kids, um, who, who just need our attention. And I, I I'm learning when you have a second child, um, the mother, like the mom, is takes care of the new child because she has to feed and she has to take care of them. Um, and, and the, the, uh, the dad, has to take care of the other child. And so Emery and I have been like best buds right now. Uh, she's really clingy. She likes spending time with me. But it's, it's, it's been really great. It's been wonderful. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, Bennett had, had to go to the ER a few times um, because he had um, jaundice. And so we had to get his blood tested all this all this time and he had to go under phototherapy and stuff. But anyways, everything is good. Looking back at this past new year, just so much has happened. And, and I, I was honestly trying to think of, of what to bring you as a message to kind of wrap up this year of, of just so much that's happened um, in our country, in, in our community, in our church, in, in our families. And I realized that I, I, I just, I have this comfort of, of preaching over, basically preaching myself, to myself. And a lot of times um, when, I, when I'm preaching to you, It's it's not preaching at you. It's it's really just working out these issues and these problems that I have within myself. And I hope and I pray that as I preach to myself and as I just constantly proclaim the gospel over my life over and over again, that it would in turn bless you. And so today's topic, today's uh, sermon title is called Faith's Logic. And the reason why uh, I, I, I have such a desire to talk about this is because I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Korean-American church, uh, and I grew up in a very conservative church, uh, one in which you respect God. You, you not only respect God, you obey God. You do whatever He says. Uh, if, if the Bible says it, you follow it, you do it. You believe in Jesus because I told you so, because He's the Son of God. And, and, and so for me— Faith had nothing to do with logic. Faith was simply reading the Bible and believing the Bible and obeying the Bible. Logic was what I learned in school. Logic was was how things worked and how how things did. Faith was about belief. Logic was about knowledge. And so for me growing up in the church my faith in God had a weak foundation because it wasn't based on anything but speculation. It wasn't based on anything but just someone telling me something and me just thinking, all right, that sounds good. And and what I realized for myself, and again, I, I, I need to stress, I'm not talking to you, Ryan, I'm talking to myself. What I realized as time went on is that when I looked at my relationship to God, I was very afraid because I I didn't really know who God was. I just knew that I needed to believe. I needed to follow and obey him. But I knew that if you followed and obeyed him, that good things would happen, that that God would bless you. And I I heard a lot of, uh, of that in church, is that God would bless you. God would give you gifts. He would bring you success. Good things would happen if you believed. And so I, I remember growing up and, and be, uh, being a student, I would, I would go into these classrooms and there would be a test. And I would, I would sit down and, and before the test began, I would pray real hard. I would say, Lord, bless me. Please bless me. And, and, and when you come across that really hard problem and you open up uh, the, the, the test booklet and you have no idea what the question is, and you're saying, Lord, bless me. Please bless me. And when you're filling out that scantron, and it's between A, B, C, and D, you're really saying, "Lord, if it is Your will, if it is Your will for me to pass this class, let B be the right answer." And you and you fill that scantron in. And, it, and 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 that kind of attitude progressed, even even outside of school, the area of school. Um, I, again, I, I'm trying to be as vulnerable without being inappropriate. I wanted to be in a relationship so badly when I was single, um, that I would pray so fervently for a girlfriend. I would pray so fervently that I would, I would wake up in the morning and before I went to bed, I would say, God, give me a girlfriend. Please, bless me. Bless. I, I, I believe that you have the power. I believe that, I believe that, that it is possible that you can send someone who's, who's right for me that I won't be so lonely, that I won't have to go to the movies by myself. That I can go with someone and watch it and then we can talk about the movie and, and I can have companionship. Like companionships in the Bible, right? So, so let me have companionship, Lord. And 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 basically what happened over the years is my prayer life, my faith to God was inwardly, inwardly focused. And even when someone else came with a prayer request as I entered into seminary, as I entered into the ministry, and people came with their problems, and, and really my, my answer to many of the people I ministered to was, just believe. God, God can do it. God, God absolutely can do it. Just believe that, that God has the power. Believe in Him. And He's, he's got everything in His hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so he will take care of you. He will watch over you. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And again, there were so many times, even in ministry, where all of this fell short. Because I think there's a a lack of the logic aspect to faith. That because my faith had no basis, that it really was just superstition. And this has gotten to the point so bad To be so bad that there is even something in our country called the prosperity gospel. Where people are thinking that if you believe hard enough, if you have a good enough faith, that God is going to grant you whatever you desire. That God will give you success. he He will make you happy. He will give you riches. He will fix all of your problems. Because faith has been reduced down to something that has no foundation whatsoever. As we enter this new year, what I want to explain to you is the foundation of faith. And the foundation of faith is very simple. But when you start to stray away from this simple foundation, faith in and of itself becomes a curse. It breaks down and leads you down a path where it won't lead to blessing, but it'll lead to death. And so this is very serious, but it's something that it's very simple. The foundation of faith is to bring glory to God. The foundation of faith is to point to God and and, and say, it's him. It, it, the foundation of belief, of faith, inherently requires us to give credit and glory to God. When we fail to give credit and glory to God, it defeats the whole purpose, the whole basis of faith. And so really, if, if you leave today with just understanding that, I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm a happy man because what I'm realizing so much in our in our even Christian bubble, even even in a church community, is many times when we come into contact with suffering, pain, and problems. When we come into contact with chaos, frustration, anxiety, and stress, we pray to God that He would fix our problems. And when He does, and when He brings that, that relief, and He brings that completion, that redemption, that answer... We fail to give him the credit. We fail to give him the glory. And when we fail to give him the credit that is due, it defeats the blessing altogether. Today we're going to go over the story of Gideon. And, and, and the story of Gideon is a very powerful one, and I, I was so lucky to have this week to, to focus on this story because I'm sure many of you who have been in church for a while, have heard the story of Gideon. Even if you haven't been in church, you may have heard the story of Gideon because it's one of the popular ones. Gideon was this guy who, who wasn't strong. He wasn't the, the most popular. He wasn't the, the most qualified. But he led an army of 300 people against an army of thousands. And, and, and because God was with them, the army of 300 was able to defeat the army of thousands, of a great multitude. And, and people even use this, this story, to, to, to basically tell you like a David and Goliath type of story. If God is with you, then you will be super successful. You will be able to defeat whatever enemy comes in your way, no matter what the odds. And we hear this all the time. And so when we see our struggles and we see our problems, we're like, yeah, you know, like I can do it. I, I, can, I can have success. And I think today what I want to show you is that the story of Gideon is far more complex. It, it's not as simple as just Gideon led three hundred men into battle. That there is an underlying under, uh, underlying message of the story of Gideon. That once we begin to realize and understand, we see God's intention and purpose of bringing success to Gideon. So, if you would open up your Bibles with me, or look on the screen behind me, we're going to open up to Judges chapter six and chapter seven, and I'm going to read for us. The basic story, and so to give you a little context of how even Judges 6 starts, is that the nation of of the Midians, the Midianites, the nation of Midian has basically seen the Israelites and seen this this group, this tribe of people, and realized, hey, we're a lot stronger than you guys, and so we're going to come each and every year after you guys have have already harvested all your crops and we're going to steal all of your food. And so the, the Israelites were the ones that they were farming, that they were doing all this stuff to get all of their food in these storehouses, and the Midianites would come year after year and just take all their food. So it happened for seven years. The Midianites were just oppressing this group of people called the Israelites. And so in verse 12 of chapter 6 in Judges, and it's on the screen, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you. O oh, mighty man of valor. Oh, I, I love how this begins, and I want us to take note. The Lord is with you, O oh, mighty man of valor. The angel, the messenger of God, begins to tell Gideon, this, this kind of weak dude, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Why are we so oppressed? And where are his wonderful deeds? That our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out out from Egypt? Us up out up us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. Gideon's response to this angel is is really cool. It's 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 honest. The reason why I like it, it's logical. It, it, it has a sense of, of, of truth and honesty that many times we don't see in the Bible necessarily. He's talking to an angel. He's talking to a messenger from God. And, and instead of his response being, oh, I, I believe, I'm, I'm, you know, like, I bow down before you, I, oh, yeah, I'm so scared, I'll do whatever you say. He's like, dude, what's up? Like, look at what's going on. Do you not understand that right now everyone is suffering? Everyone is in pain? We're, we're, we're getting... We're just, we're, just, we're just messed up. Where's God? Like, they told us about a God who saved us from the Egyptians, but where is he? I mean, again, this doesn't sound very Christian is what I mean. It doesn't sound very, very faithful, but it's logical. Gideon is, is witnessing his people go through this oppression, this suffering, and so he's telling the angel of the Lord all the problems, all of his critiques, of God. Where is he? Where is he? Where where are you, God? Where are you? I heard all these stories about you and how powerful you are, but right now we're being oppressed for the past seven years. This isn't like it's just a one-day thing. This is a seven-year thing that we've been oppressed. Where is he? Again, very logical. And what I want us to recognize is the response of God isn't just to kill Gideon and say, ah, you, you, you pesky little kid, you need to just shut up and, and know your place, know that I have a plan, know that I'm watching over you, know that I'm going to save you, know that I am God and I'm going to make everything right. The response of God is found in verse 14, says, and the Lord turned to him and said, I love this. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God's response to Gideon isn't just, man, just believe, just understand that that I'm going to save you. Like, why are you so unfaithful? Like, why are you questioning me so much? Why are you critiquing me so much? Like, I'm God, I'm here. No, God's response to Gideon was, hey, in your might, go and save Israel. In your might, go and, and bring salvation to your people. I'm sending you, so go and, and, and do this thing that, that is bothering you so much. And Gideon takes the totally opposite response. And he's like, well, I'm, the, I'm the weakest. I'm, I'm, I'm the smallest. I can't do anything. I, I, I can't save Israel. What are you talking about? Even my clan is the weakest clan, and I'm the least in my father's house. I, I can't. I can't. See, this situation is something that I find very common even in our our day and age. Uh, You have people who are really good at finding out the flaws, finding and critiquing on what the problems are. They're really good at being able to say, like, you know what, this is the major problem in our corporation. This is the major problem of our family. This is the major problem with our church. And they're like, if only this was fixed. If this was fixed, everything would be better. If this was changed, everything would be better. And then when someone's like, hey, why don't you fix it? Why don't you do something about it? And, oh, no, 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 I can't. Uh, that's out of my place. I, I, I can't. I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. Uh, you know what? It's a problem, but I guess eh, it's just a problem. We'll just deal with it. That's kind of the conversation between God and Gideon at this time. Gideon is like, God, where are you? Like, what's up? Like, where are you? We're being so oppressed. We're, we're, we're so stricken by the Midianites. Come and save us. You saved, you saved us in the past. You saved, you, there are stories of you saving us from Egypt. Just do the same thing right now. and God says, all right, do it. Gideon's like, I can't. He has this ultimate humility where he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm like this big. There's no way I can bring salvation. God's response to Gideon is, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Even the way I read that is, is kind of my, my, my loose interpretation of this. is even to say that God is confirming to Gideon. He's saying, Gideon, I'm with you. So even if it was just you against this mighty army, you would be able to win. Because I'm with you. Because God is with you. Because the God of all creation, the God who created all of the universe is with you. You can take down this army by yourself as one man. You can strike them down and you can win. And Gideon's response, again, is very logical. It's one that I find myself saying all the time. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon's response is, is a very good one. Uh, he basically is like, um, this is crazy. This is insane. What you're asking me to do is impossible. And so if, if it really is you, do this. Like, here's a sign. And so what Gideon does is he actually gets a, a, a meat offering, and he puts it on an altar, and God burns it up in front of his eyes. Gideon's like, Okay. <laughs> you real. Like he, he, he sees that God accepted his offering. He's like, all right, all right, I won't even, I won't, I won't question you again. Like, I see, I see that you're real. And it's funny because the story of Gideon includes all of these tests. Like, Gideon is constantly not testing God, but he's confirming the calling that God has placed on him. The calling was so great that he constantly was, was reaffirming. And so you've heard, uh, you may have heard, uh, there was a time where Gideon puts down a, a fleece. A wolf fleece on the floor. And he says, God, if this is really you talking, if it's not just me and it's not just me thinking of crazy things, then overnight, make the fleece wet and the, the ground around it dry. And so Gideon goes to sleep. He wakes up. He finds this, the fleece soaking wet that he has to wring it out. And he's like, okay, I guess it's God. Later in the day, he's like, wait, wait, wait. Maybe it's not God. Maybe it, it, it just, I'm just hallucinating. I'm thinking that God's saying that I can destroy this army. Okay, God, if it's really you, then I'm going to put this fleece down, make the ground around the fleece wet, and make the fleece dry. Gideon goes to sleep, he wakes up, he finds the fleece bone dry, and the ground around it's all wet. So he says, okay, it's from you. There's even more times where Gideon gets confirmed of his calling. And what I love about this story, and what we even see with Jesus and the disciples, is that God doesn't take your doubts. He doesn't take our doubt and say, oh, you're so stupid. Like, why don't you just listen to me and follow what I'm saying? That many times when we have doubt and we go to God and say, God, can you just confirm? Is this really from you? God's response is, I will stay till you return. I will wait for you to understand that this is my calling on you. That many times the calling of God is stronger than our ability and our ability to understand God's calling. Or our connection to it, many times, at least as I've grown up in the church, there's a fear that you miss God's calling on your life. Oh, I, I totally missed it. I, I, I didn't understand it, and because I, I, I didn't get it, then, it's over for me. I'm done. God's economy, God's way of operating with the world, the logic of faith, has nothing to do with your timetable. It has everything to do with God's timetable. And God is far more patient than we could ever imagine. But there's something else that happens. And it's found in verse 25. It says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a bull offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. All right. So basically, what's going on in the situation is before Gideon even assembles the army to go fight the Midians, to go fight the Midianites, God basically tells him, "All right, there's an idol that's worshiping Baal, um, one of the, the the gods of the people in the surrounding areas, and there's an Asherah pole. Um, Asherah pole was the the god of of again people from a, the surrounding areas. The Israelites had um, were very specific instructions to just just worship." The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Yahweh. And God was telling Gideon, tear down these idols and instead build up an altar unto me. What I realize about this situation is this. Gideon wasn't tearing down these idols for his own good. Because the the, the point of God telling him to tear down these idols, again, has to do with faith is the idea that God would get all the credit once the Israelites defeated the Midianites. I don't think Gideon would have, would have been the type, to after to witness all, all of God's glory and all of God's power and strength to defeat the Midianites, that he would go back and worship Baal and he would worship this Asherah pole. I don't think Gideon would have done that. But I think the purpose of him destroying his idols, the idols of his father, was that the community around him, The community around Gideon would recognize that, man, the idol of Baal and the idol of Asherah, they were powerless. They were were unable, they were inept, they, they they were powerless to fix the problems of the Israelites. Think of it this way. The Israelites were being oppressed for seven straight years. And I'm sure during those seven years, it wasn't as if they built up these, these foreign idols right away. I'm sure it was probably like year four, year five. Year four, year five, they're like, man, God, the God that saved us out of Egypt, he's no longer here. So we need to start making for ourselves some new gods. And so here, here's an idol to Baal. And then all of a sudden, you know, another year passes. The, the Midianites come in and, and steal all their food again. They're like, you know what? Let's add another god, Asherah. And they, they, they install a new, a new idol. Like, maybe now we'll be saved. The reason why God is telling them very specifically to tear down these idols is because not that the idols have power, but exactly that. The idols have no power, so tear them down so that when you find victory, you won't be able to look back at your idols. So what does this mean for us? Many times, we have our idols, we have our idols, and especially in in the culture that I'm from, I think one of the biggest idols um, that I see today is your college degree and where you got it from. I, I see this so frequently because what ends up happening is this, is that we feel like we can't complete the will of God in our lives. We can't be successful without that special fancy degree. And, and, and it's, it's so funny, in, in back when I was in Texas and I was a youth pastor, um, all, all these students, they wanted to go to the best schools that they could, which is not a bad thing. Again, I don't want to make you feel bad if you went to a great school. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. But I realized that there's a difference in putting all of your trust in that degree from Harvard compared to putting your trust in God, in the God of all the universe. And I, I realized there was a difference between people who had who would say, I got this job, I'm put into this position because God put me here, God placed me here, God is the one who has been leading my path towards his will, that he will do what, what he has called me to do, compared to the people who says, oh no, I got this job because I, I, I came from Harvard. I got this job because I'm a college grad, because I, I, I ended school with a 4.0 GPA. Oh, I got this job because I, I did a lot of internships, because I worked really hard. I realize that in our day and age, the idols that we make for ourselves are very self and individually turned. It's your resume. And when I I say that we're called to tear down our idols, I'm not saying take your resume and rip it up. What I'm saying is, can we prioritize God? Can we give him the credit when we get those positions? When we succeed in life, that it's not Baal, it's not ashra, it's not my degree, it's not my connections, it's the Lord. God is the one who has been guiding my path. He's the one who is leading me towards success, which leads to the final section, and it's found in chapter 7, verse 2. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their, into their hand lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. This is us. This is so many times us. See, God looks at this army that Gideon has formed, and it's, it's thousands of people, thousands of Israelites willing to, to take up the call to fight the Midianites, even though they're still outnumbered, even though that their army is big, that they're willing to go out and fight a, a, an army that's far greater than they are because they see the problem. God doesn't whittle down their forces because he's an evil God. God doesn't whittle down their numbers down to 300 because he's, he's an maniacal person that says, I can do it, I can do it. He does, he whittles them down to 300. He does this because for, for their benefit. He does it for their sake. See, when we see God doing these things, it's really not to prop himself up. He doesn't need to prop himself up. The reason why God is whittling them down to 300, he's decreasing their armies. armies, It's because he says, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God chooses this number, this number of 300 to defeat an army of thousands, not because God is trying to flex his muscles, not because God is trying to show that he's incredibly strong and incredibly powerful. He's doing that for the sake of the people, that they would come to a point where they would say, our numbers are are so misaligned, we have so few resources, we won." This doesn't make sense. How, how, did we, how did we win? Their only logical response, their only logical response to the success that they have against the Midianites, again, they win, they defeat the Midianites. The only logical reasoning that they can have is, it's a miracle, it's God. The only reason why we were so successful wasn't because of Baal. wasn't because of Asherah. It wasn't because of our army size. The only logical explanation that we are here alive with no longer being oppressed by the Midianites is because God was with us. This new year, as, as we enter into it, the, the message that I have for you, the call that I have for you, is to follow this outline of Gideon. And it's, it's very hard. I'm, 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 this is not easy by any means. But it's, it's actually pretty simple. And if you really want to begin to be trained, if you want to learn how to develop your relationship and, and increase your faith, it, it's, it's pretty simple. And, and, and the outline that Gideon has for us is this. The first step is being honest with God. And I think I've I've, I've talked to you about this in the past. But the first step is Gideon was super honest with God about all of his problems. And he said, Lord, this is what's going on. Where are you? That's the first step to growing as a believer, to growing in faith, is going to God and saying, God, these are my problems. Where are you? The second step is this, that when God says, okay, fix it, that we would have humility like Gideon. Wait, 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 wait. I I can't fix this. There's no way that I can fix this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not good enough. I can't fix this. And when God says that he's with you, that we would tear down our idols. And again, not tearing down our idols, not even for our own sake, but so that the people, the community around us would witness and they would come to recognize, man, the only reason why that person is successful isn't because that, they're, that they went to Harvard, that they, they, they come from a good family, that they, they have all this intelligent and natural talents. Man, the reason why they succeeded was because God. And when God asks you to start whittling down your life, He starts asking you to give. start asking you to to position yourself in a way that would give him the most glory. Again, not only for his sake, but so that you would come to a place where you would recognize, it's not because of anything I've done, but it's because God has done everything for me. I don't know where you are in that stage. I think it's a lifelong stage as well. It's not this just continually, like, you, you have one year to co- accomplish this growth. I think many times we find ourselves in different, different stages. But wherever you are, recognize that your faith has the foundation to give God all the glory. Because he wants to bring success to you. He wants you to win your battles. He wants to bring solution to your problems. As we look at Gideon, God brings the best solution to Gideon. He brings answer to his prayer. The Midianites are gone. They are defeated. But the the point that God had wasn't to answer Gideon's prayer. It was to show Gideon that God is all-powerful. In closing, there's a a, a point where Gideon, when he's talking to God, he, he... he basically tells God, he says, uh, he tells the messenger, you know, our fathers had, have talked about um, how God has saved the Israelites out of Egypt. And again, that's a whole different story of the Exodus, where God saves the people out of slavery and he brings them to the land of Canaan. And Gideon's like, man, we've heard these stories, but where is God? I realize this happens to us in the church all the time, even today. We talk about the crucifixion. We talk about Jesus all the time in the same way. Gideon was saying, God, we heard stories about you saving the Israelites from Egypt, but where are you? In the church, we ask the same question. We say, God, we've heard time and time again that 2,000 years ago you sent your son to die for us. 2,000 years ago. But where are you now? Where are you today? Where are you with my problems right now? And we ask ourselves all these times, the same way that Gideon has asked, God, you say that you're with us, but you don't show yourself to us. You say that you sent Jesus to die for us, but why do I still have issues now? The logic of faith, the desire that God has for you, is for you to get in a position, a place, to give him the glory cuz what good is having a savior in Christ if you're still making the decisions what good is Jesus if your life is dictated by what you want by your desires church i know god can change this world i know he can he can solve all of our problems i mean today there was a shooting not too far from here and thankfully it's resolved and thankfully you know, there's no longer an active situation, but someone died today. The question of, of asking God, Where are you? lingers in my heart right now. God, where are you in this place? When I realize that God's response to us is that we are called, we are called to bring solution in humility, in trusting in Him, I realize that we can make a difference. God is calling you, each and every one of you, to do something very different. He's calling you in a a very specific way. But what he's saying is, are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to bear your cross? To surrender your life, to accept new life in Christ. I know that when it's hard, I know it's hard to destroy your idols, it's hard to let it all go, to whittle your numbers down to 300, to a number that just doesn't make sense. But I guarantee you, when you do, You are positioning yourself to experience the miracles that God wants to fix your problems. So when you come with a problem and you say, you know, like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Jesus is the answer. Like, he is the answer. He is with you. He can solve your problem. But the way that he's going to solve it doesn't follow human logic, but it follows faith logic. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we can trust in a loving God. God, that when we have our issues, our problems, that we, we are welcome to bring to you our petitions, our, our worries. Father, I ask that on this day, we would start new. This new year would be marked by a submission and a humility unto you, O oh Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Son, that he is the guarantor of of your presence in our lives, that you are with us, and therefore nothing can destroy us. So, Father, I ask that you would give us a boldness in faith. You would help us to not rely on our idols. You would help us to not rely on our numbers and our resources and our size, but we would wholly and completely rely on you. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father we thank you for loving us. God loving us to the point where you sent Jesus to die for us. Father even though that happened so long ago, we know that because of his death and his resurre- his resurrection that your holy spirit now resides in us. And father that whenever we face problems and suffering, even suffering similar to what Gideon was experiencing, that we are oppressed we are downtrodden. Father, we know that because you are with us, that we can be vessels of salvation unto this world. God, we can be vessels of your healing and restoration. Father, allow us not to trust in in the idols of this world. Let us not trust in Baal or Asherah. Let us not trust in in our money or our finances, in our education, in our talents. But let us trust wholly, Unto you, O Lord, that you would get all credit, all glory, and honor. Father, I pray that as you help us to win our battles, that we would not look at our numbers, our resources, as reasoning to our victories, but let us just proclaim that it is because you are a living and active God that we are now successful. Father, I pray for this congregation. Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak to them clearly the way you spoke to Gideon. Father, would you confirm in them their calling? Would you confirm in them what you desire? How they can expand your kingdom, not for their sake, but for yours. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.